I'm Dr. Megan Corredo, and welcome to Real Stories, a podcast that features the narratives of trauma survivors, professionals, and community leaders. Real Stories provides a platform for guests with diverse life experiences to voice and honor their unique narratives. During today's episode, we will be speaking with Kenneth Johnson. Kenneth, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Sure. So let's start off with, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Uh, Okay. So I I think the best place um, to start is just professionally. I'm a social worker here in uh, Philadelphia. I work for the city's Department of Human Services, specifically juvenile justice services. Um, And I also part-time work as um, an adjunct professor. I'm sorry, that's my computer making all the noises, people. Um, I also work part-time as an adjunct professor at uh, Westchester University. Mm -hmm. Um, I've taught a variety of courses there. Um, Currently, I'm teaching uh, human rights as a perspective in Philadelphia. Mm. Um, I'm born and raised in Philadelphia, um, so I'm strongly connected here. Um, Yeah, I think that's... That's pretty good. Um, I, I love mentoring young people. I'm, I'm also a founding member of the Boys Track Mentoring Program, which is run out of Philadelphia Department of Human Services. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's a few things. I'm sure as we talk a little bit, I'll, I'll um, reveal a little bit more. Okay. Um, and then you already answered this, but is there anything else you want to add about what you do? Um, <laughs> what do I... Um, professionally, no. Um, just for outside of professionally, just to relax, um, I, I like to jog, um, go to the gym and I am an avid consumer of anime. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's good to know. So every individual, every community, every system has a story. And we know that every story includes both adversity and strength. Can you talk to us about some of the adversities that you faced? And these can be either professional or personal, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Um, Yeah, as as you asked that question, um, I'm thinking, I'm actually reflecting. And I think that when I think about adversity, um, I, I, I really, for me, I personalize it. Mm. And that um, I think that the adversity that I faced was more or less um, self-imposed, for lack of a better word. Mm. Um, Maybe just um, really not knowing how much of an impact I could have um, in the the realm of social work um, Mm. and just social action. Um, this is early on in my, in my career. Um, so you, just to be completely transparent, you sent these, these, the questions, um, early and to prepare for them. And this one, I had to really think hard on, Mm. um, because, um, so frequently, um, I thought of myself as just, um, really, um, attacking adversities. Hmm. And, you um, mean. You mean as far as your own adversities, you kind of you experience them, but you just like focus your energy into overcoming them? Yes. Yes. Okay. You know, like things would come up, challenges would would come up and I just, you know, focus my energies, um, marshal things that I had learned um, Mm -hmm. throughout the years and and through my experiences and found ways to overcome them. So Mm -hmm. thinking about adversity, um, 
professionally and personally, I, I think that the adversity was just, um, I guess in a way you could call it self-doubt, mm. you know, and, and overcome, how to overcome that mm. and, and, and mobilize those strengths within myself. Um, so if I had to give a story about that, I'm trying to think of one. Um, there was a, an issue where they were looking to make some significant changes to a program that I was connected to. Okay. Um, I had a lot to say about it in order to, to keep it as it was originally designed. And I'm being vague on purpose because I don't want to mm -hmm. out the particular organizations. Uh, no problem. Involved. Um, and in the beginning of the conversations about the changes and what they were doing, um, I remained silent. Um, and I really had to think about why I, why I did that, mm. you know, um, why I didn't speak up. Um, so the next time we had a meeting about that, I made sure that, you know, as difficult as it was, and in a way, I guess you could say scary as it was, is mm. that I pushed myself to do that, to, mm. to, to say, you know, to speak my piece and my truth about it anyway. Mm. Uh, what do you think it was that like prevented you from openly expressing how you felt about it from the beginning? Um, I, I, I say often um, when I when I'm teaching, one of the things that I say to uh, students is that as social workers, we have to be careful not to become agents of social conformity. Hmm. Um, and I think what was happening is that, you know, I had conform to the bureaucratic structure um, and the belief that, you know, those who were titled to hold particular positions had a particular insight or knowledge or expertise that I did not. Mm. And I needed to defer to that. And, um, you know, instead of trusting your own expertise and your own judgment about the situation, right. Instead of trusting my own experiences and expertise from actually working with the populations and being out there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remain silent. Um, I think of that as an adversity because, you know, it was a struggle for me to, to come to the understanding that I was actually the barrier standing in the way of myself fully embracing the um, career that I had chosen. Mm. Um, so yeah. And looking back on that experience, um, have you found that that tends to be a pattern for you or something that started early on where you have kind of known where you stand on a situation, um, but then maybe experienced some self-doubt or was that the first experience you had with that? Um, I would say that looking at that, that wasn't the first experience I had with that, but it was the last time I dealt with it in that manner. Okay. Um, meaning that, um, for lack of a better word, that became my aha moment. And mm. that, you know, the stakes for the communities and for myself are too high to remain silent. Mm. Um, and to remain, you know, and to believe that what I have to contribute is not valuable. Mm -hmm. um, or diminishing its value. You know, I had a responsibility to the communities to speak up 
um, for those that couldn't speak for themselves. Mm. And um, knowing that having that direct interaction with them, you know, I had heard, um, and it's amazing, I'd heard their stories. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a good idea of what they needed to have come in to their particular community, into their particular programming and setting um, that would work for them Mm -hmm. in that particular space. Um, I would say that to a degree I'd fed into um, that idea that those who were titled, and I'm using the word title, had that, going back to what I said before, they had some knowledge that I didn't have. Mm -hmm. And the more I sat through and listened to them and and interacted with them, they're very knowledgeable, very, very smart people. But, you know, myself and anyone that comes into those particular um, organizations or those particular rooms with those people um, need to realize that they, too, are just as valued, just as smart and have just as much insight Mm -hmm. um, as those with the title sitting at the table. Uh, Right. The one limitation is they may not have access to the research, but their ability to understand and contribute shouldn't be minimized. And I learned Mm -hmm. at that point not to minimize my own. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm thinking about I'm thinking about myself as you're speaking. I'm also thinking about listeners who experience this like self-doubt. It's like, you know, you know certain things about your own experience and you've listened to and empathized with others' experiences, but some somehow like this this sense of self-doubt, um, I don't know, it, it interferes with our ability to advocate. And I really appreciate you highlighting that experience as an adversity. And also, it also speaks to the fact that sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Um, and sometimes uh, the, the adversity that we impose on ourselves um, can be far more powerful. The, the self-talk, the messages that we're conveying to ourselves about how valuable or invaluable our voices are can be far more powerful than what anybody else can do or say to us. Yeah, and I think that um, the you're absolutely right that the the what I've found to be valuable and which is very difficult for me to do is um, reflection. And, you know, Mm -hmm. in in social work and in in therapy, and I know you know this very well, much better than I do, um, reflection is very important. Mm -hmm. The ability to to reflect and and really understand what was happening in that particular situation or that particular interaction Mm -hmm. and and what it meant to you. And as you asked me earlier, why, why did I react the way that I did? Mm-hmm. honestly understand it so that I can make some corrective action for myself um, going on. And I, for me, that's so important when we work with, when I do my work um, mm-hmm. in communities and with young people is trying to get them to teach them those skills, not even get them to teach them those skills to sit down and, and self-reflect on mm-hmm. interactions and, and what's happening and what it means to them and where they were emotionally in that particular place, in that particular space Mm -hmm. and how they can use that information to move themselves forward in a positive way and and, and achieve or, or, or or accomplish whatever they have set out for themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm sure you've heard a lot of stories of adversity, but also a lot of stories of strength, too, as you're supporting youth and um, identifying ways to, I don't know, uh, experience a sense of empowerment. Um, I, I, I have one story. I have a, a bunch of stories because I've been working with um, young people for a number of years, um, mentoring and life coaching. How many years? Oh, wow. Um, it's at least eight to nine years now. Okay. Um, yeah, since we started our um, mentoring group, um, it wasn't just myself. It's, it's a group of us that started it. Okay. Um, but when I think of one story, and this is actually a, um, a very good story, because um, the, the young man and his mother had a very, very close relationship. And um, she brought him to our mentor. She brought her son to our mentoring program because she realized he needed that exposure to adult African-American males. He, he needed mm-hmm. that um, to mm-hmm. grow. He was, he was going into like seventh, eight, seventh grade, I believe. And she, she realized that, you know, as, as a mother, you know, there were some aspects of manhood that she just could not impart on him. And she wanted that help. Mm-hmm. Um, she would wait for him after every session we had. She would sit for the entire section outside of the room we held it in. She would mm-hmm. make sure he got there, wait for him to come out with all the boys, escort him home. Now, the funny part was she was the only mother there okay, waiting for her son. So while the interaction was going on, I came out that there are several other mentors in there with the young men. I came out and I sat with mom and I asked her, I said, um, how long are you going to continue to sit outside the door and wait for him? Mm -hmm. And she looked at me, well, you know, he's always going, he doesn't always come right home. Sometimes he's real flighty in the way that he thinks and moves and, you know, is dangerous out there. Very valid concerns. Mm -hmm. Mother. And I had to have a conversation with her and was like, can you wait for him downstairs? You, my point was you, she had to start letting go. Mm. As scared as she was for him and as we all are for our young people out there, it's like, you know, it's going to come a point in his life when you, no matter what you do, you cannot be there. Mm. And you have to be very sure that the lessons you have taught him have prepared him to to the best of his ability in those situations, navigate them correctly. Mm. He was very young at the time. So, you know, not to send mom into full on freak out. Uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, let's, why don't you start by not waiting here by the door when he comes out with all the other young men? Okay. Give him, start giving him a little bit of space and trust that he can make it from this room to meeting you outside. And eventually we'll get to the point where he can make it from the meeting and all the way home Mm -hmm. on his own. And it was a very short period of time. And through us continuously having that conversation, myself and the mother, as he worked through the program and she made slight adjustments as he showed um, the ability to handle the responsibility to where he did get to that point where he was able to come to the program and go home. It didn't take away her fear as a mother, mm-hmm. but she was more confident that he was going to make the right decisions traveling from the program 
to home. And just to bring it full circle, he's graduated high school. Um, okay. He he accomplished so many things uh, mm. while he was in in high school, um, and he has gone on to make some very significant. I'm, I'm being very careful about what I said. I don't want to put somebody mm-hmm. out there that haven't given me permission. Right. Um, but we're very proud of him. He made some really, really important life decisions on his own in conversations with his mother. And she just really appreciated um, his growth and, and that all of us as the men there had a hand in helping her to have him grow and become the young person that he was. And anytime I see a young person that posts something or, or, or texts me back, um, mm-hmm. and they don't have, they're not always amazing stories, but they're usually just mm-hmm. to say, I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's not until they became adults that they realize what we were trying to impart on them and the importance that it has on their life after they left high school and, and mm-hmm. really became fully a cool adults. And that's just so rewarding. Mm-hmm. So as you're speaking, I'm thinking about like the fear that that mom must have experienced um, to the point where she was waiting outside um, for her child after the mentoring mm-hmm. um, sessions. And I'm thinking also about like all the different traumas that she and her family may have faced, especially yes. um, as as an African-American family um, living in a, a large city. Um, and I'm thinking about, you know, the trauma and the stress that might have motivated like her desire to say, I want to protect my child. I want to make sure my child is OK. And then I'm also thinking about um, I really appreciate you sharing this story, especially because sometimes when we're working with people who have been through adversity or who need support, sometimes we think that there's going to be these like monumental, like life changing aha moments that are really dramatic. Like, like we envision fireworks and, and smoke and fog machines and all these other things. But a lot of times these transformative moments happen like when you have a conversation with a parent and it seems like a simple conversation. And then over time, that conversation builds into something else. And then over time, you can look back and say, oh, look at all this progress. Even if it wasn't this monumental, um, you know, uh, explosive moment in that person's life it's still extremely significant and powerful yes and and that's exactly um what i was what i wanted to get across is that it's not the the big things um always that that we should be looking for it's the Mm -hmm. little incremental changes Mm -hmm. um another quick one and this can be um for any number of young people uh, male or female um, I know that when we oftentimes when we're moving through the city, and I'm going to use um, males in particular, young men in particular, um, we'll see them and they can come across as very intimidating mm-hmm. and, and, and scary in their presentation. And I've had many conversations with family members and friends um, because of the work I do with uh, mentoring was like, what I challenge them to do when they, when they can, and they're in that situation with, with a young person, is really talk to them and then stop talking and listen. And mm-hmm. really tune into what the young person is saying. Mm-hmm. And the amazing part for me, I'm going to speak for myself, is that 
the young person can be 6'3", 200 pounds, built like a linebacker. But when I mm-hmm. look in his face and in his eyes as I'm listening to him and interacting with them, all that fear that I held, that's, I'm going to use fear, or all that you know hesitation from interta- interacting with him melts away. And I realize he's 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. He's still figuring it out. And I, as you start to see, well, for me, I start to see even his features soften. And you start to see the 15, 16 year old, not mm-hmm. a the child monster person. Right. You know, this is, I, I'm not going to be afraid of a 16 year old young man who's still trying to figure it out. And in his own way, many of them are begging for us to give them some information and, and some direction. Mm hmm. And also to see them as they are, not as, um, so, you know, we know that, you know, sometimes people are defensive, especially if they've been through trauma um, and it's a self-protective mechanism to say like, I don't know how you're coming, but I need to make sure that I'm protected and I need to make sure you're safe. So I'm going to put this wall up until you prove to me that you're safe. But then, so seeing that part of them and accepting that part, but then also seeing like the child behind that um, is really important. Yes. And, and as you said it, like taking when, when we can see beyond the trauma that they put up front, that's that wall that you speak of, and then see the young person that's still in need of understanding and direction mm-hmm. changes the whole way that you interact with this young person. Mm-hmm. And it changes the whole way that they receive you, mm-hmm. you know, I can remember it's a it's it's a young well she's now a grown woman she she's one of the first clients I ever had when I started doing social work mm. um, and I was doing as a case manager she okay could now be like thirty five and she has her own children but she she and her family still call me to this day and this is a funny mm. story when you know you've had an impact on someone. Mm. And she has her own children and will call me for advice when they're, because they're all boys. Okay. She will call Mr. Johnson for <laughs> advice. Like, okay. You know, like, listen, you know, you were always honest with me. You, when you said you were going to respond, you did. Mm. You, when you said that something was going to happen as a consequence of my actions, you did it with compassion mm-hmm. and not anger. So mm. the funny story is, is that she was on um, Facebook Live, is it? Mm-hmm. So she's on Facebook Live and I'm on Facebook. So I see her. And of course, I pull up the video like, hey, let me see what she's talking about. Uh-huh. And she's talking nothing controversial, as young people do. But then I came up to the, I was like, is she driving? You know, so I typed in a message like. I know you're not driving and videoing <laughs> while you're driving. And she talks into the camera. All right, everyone, I have to say goodbye. Mr. Johnson, <laughs> just sit me a message. And Mr. Johnson, I'm turning off the camera right now. And little actions let, let me know that I had an impact on her. And she knows right. that, I'm, that I'm have your best intentions at heart. 
Mm -hmm. I want the best for you. And right now, what you're doing is not very safe for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking about this idea of reparative experiences. So we know that um, we know that trauma creates disconnection. Um, it creates chaos. Mm -hmm. It it creates um, I don't know broken relationships. Mm -hmm. And we know that actually building healthy relationships with other people can help to repair some of the negative impacts of trauma. And it sounds like the core of your work goes back to reparative experiences. Um, helping people to feel a sense of safety and connection and respect and empathy and consistency. And I think it's important for everyone to know that all of those things can support trauma survivors in recovering and healing. Um, and, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be that you're talking directly to people about the trauma that they're going through. Um, you, you may, depending on your role with them, mm -hmm. but, um, just thinking about how over time you were able to build these experiences and relationships of repair that then led to trust that, that then led to people realizing, you know what, everybody is, is not going to harm me because, you know, in the back of my head, I know Mr. Johnson has my back. Like I know that I can rely on him. I know that he is a safe person and that's, that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. And, and outside of even just myself and the groups that we have for both the, the young men and the young women, and they're all inner city dealing with all these, all these shootings and, um, and, and a lot of the violence that's going on. Um, you know, a lot of them come from families that lack, whether it be money, um, food resources, clothing resources, housing resources, you know, mm -hmm. all these different young people come into our program. And we want to create an atmosphere where they can come in and it's safe. And I'm going to use the, for me, you can come to us and truly be 15, 16 years old. Mm. You're not, you don't have to carry the weight of the adult in the room here mm. in this space. We're the adults here. We, we, and to our role in your life as it regards this program, we're carrying that weight. You just mm. focus on all the things that need to be focused on for a 15 year old mm. or 16. That has to be a relief. Right. Like, like, I don't have to be so responsible. Like, I can be myself, and the adults around me are just going to take care of what needs to be addressed. Exactly. We're going to take care of when it's time to leave we're going to take time when it's time to eat we're going to deal with the argument between these two people over here there's no need for all 17 of you to come circle around them and spice it up you know mm -hmm. we're going to take care of it um no one is going to be allowed to be hurt in here because we're not going to stand back and let that happen either mm -hmm. physically or emotionally and if we see it, we're going to address it. It's not ignored. From the person that is the the person that is the target of what's happened and the person that's doing the targeting. Because mm -hmm. they both need to be addressed. And right. as the adults in the room, once we get those two to understand the dynamic of what's happening between them, mm -hmm. then we can bring them together. And as young men in our program, you guys can disagree and talk about anything. No mm. one in this program is throwing any blows in the building or outside of the building to solve their differences. It's mm. not going to happen. We're going to teach you a different way. 
Mm. You never have to agree with him in this moment for what's happening. But what we're not going to do is, is allow you to take this moment as the definition of who the, this person is. Mm. As mm. a totality. It's not all that person is. It's a disagreement mm -hmm. with that person within this context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've already shared a few important positive moments or turning points um, in, in your story, in your career. And I'm wondering if there's anything else that you want to add. Um, I would say one of the positive turning points um, career-wise was um, there was one of the gentlemen who um, I started or restarted the uh, mentoring program that I started with. He was actually very instrumental in me going back to graduate school. Okay. Um, and that he had gone himself and he was, he had gone, he had, he had completed it, um, did amazingly well while he mm -hmm. was in the program. And we're in one of the groups and he said to me um, while I was sitting up there, why haven't you gone? Like, you know, yeah. like why haven't you done this? Like, you know. So he called you out. He called me completely <laughs> to the carpet. And I appreciate him for that. He called me mm -hmm. on the carpet. And he and I had a million excuses, and which is amazing. And I explained it. And I had a million excuses: time, uh, money. I wasn't ready, you know. Um, in the end, it kind of takes us back full circle to where I started this, and I, it was more self doubt. Mm. So, like the people who do this must be incredibly intelligent people to to accomplish this graduate degree but you didn't consider yourself to be one of those incredibly intelligent people i was afraid and i didn't see myself in that space and it mm. was fear um but i had been involved in the work with the young people for so long that i couldn't be a hypocrite i had to face that and mm. i had to face that fear and this other black man you know pulled me on the carpet Mm -hmm. And was like, you know, do it. You know, you can do this. Um, and, and lo and behold, I did it. Um, and as you know, Megan, um, I was not only did I do it, I completed it. And almost immediately after I graduated, they pulled me into as an adjunct professor. Mm -hmm. um, so not only not only did you do it, now you're teaching too. Now, <laughs> yes. Now now I, I'm teaching. And um yeah, so so you know, um, I think th this podcast that you're doing with stories um, is 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 very transformative. I think um, mm. in a way, um, reflective for me. You've given me the opportunity to kind of reflect on on many different aspects. Mm, I'm glad on on and, and that that are going on currently um, mm -hmm. with myself and with the work that I'm doing. Okay. So where do you see yourself in the future moving forward? Um, I see myself as a NASA astronaut, actually. <laughs> uh, really? No, no, no. no. That, I was going to say, wow, that's that's a career change. Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a complete 360. Um, where do I see myself in the future? Um, I'm really not sure. Uh, okay. I, just to be completely honest, I know whatever I'm doing, um, I'm still going to be in this service helping profession. Okay. On some level, you know, I, I'm still going to be out there. 
and, and having that direct involvement with the community and with the people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. still going to be that that guy. Eventually, I am going to retire at some point. Okay. Then I'm going to have to consider, you, you know, what does that look like? Right. Right. Um, and then also, given that you've you've been involved in multiple things all at the same time, that's going to be a change for you, too. Yeah. Like, I, what do I do? What, what do people who don't have five different projects going on, what do they do? I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. You know, like, I, I can't, I, I know you don't. I, we've talked. So I, I know that you very much are involved and active in so many different things going on. Um, I, I, that's a hard question for me to, I'm not going to say reflect. I'm going to say project forward on. Okay. Okay. Well, we can hold forward. We can hold space for, you know, the, the, um, the uncertainty. That's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. How do I project forward? And that could be a good, um, thank you. That could be a good workshop for the young people project forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I have to really think about how to uh, structure that. Right. And then sometimes we know, sometimes we know like in the vicinity kind of what we want to do. And sometimes we have specific plans. And I think it's helpful for us to make space for, for both of those things. Thing, uh, you know, a specific detailed plan. And then also like, you know what, I'm not sure, but I kind of think it's going to be in the area of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't, I'm, I'm still using my word projecting for it. I'm still figuring it out. And I, okay. you know, for, for this segment that I'm talking with you about here, for young people, um, that's a good message I can have for them is that even as adults, we're still figuring it out. Right. We're, we're still as anxious and afraid at times and, and unsure mm-hmm. um, in a different way. Um, right. And they are. But those feelings are still there. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And normalizing that. Right. That it's OK. Mm-hmm. You know, it's OK to be unsure. It's OK not to know. It's all right not to not to have the answer. Um, but don't start. Don't stop looking for the answer. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, so. A couple last questions. Um, are there any life changing or favorite resources that you want to share with listeners? Um, life changing resources. <laughs> um, this is going to be funny, but anyone who is needs to relax, uh, I always throw my anime references in there. Get Hulu, okay. Uh, get Hulu and start watching anime. Okay. It is. I find it very relaxing, and it covers so many genres. Um, anything specific? Anything specific? Yeah, like any any of your favorite anime. Um, if you're going to start for me at the beginning, they everyone has to watch Akira. Okay. They have to watch Akira. Um, they have to watch uh, Sword. It's called Sword Art Online. Okay. You, you have to watch that. Um, there are so many out there that mm. I, I think that where they've done like an amazing job of making a social commentary. If you really, oh. if you really take the time to look at what they're what they're really trying to say to mm. uh, the community at large, you can get so much from. And I, that's any art form. I'm just using okay. as one. Um, another resource. Um, 
more more along the lines of academically is and a friend turned me on to it it's called teaching hard history hmm. i believe it's through the aclu and, and okay get the actual to you megan so you can put it up that would be great i'll include the link for people who are interested yeah teaching hard history um it was it was given to me by a very good friend of mine who's, who's working on his doctorate right now um and i've been reading through it and it goes through the different um, age ranges. Um, yeah, that I think is an excellent resource. Um, anything else that, that I would really want to share? Um, I know there's so many like potential resources too. Huh? There's so many potential resources too. Yeah. And like, and it's, it's a, now you're sitting here on, I'm sitting here on the podcast and give it out and I'm drawing a blank. Um, and I think part of that is as social workers, we're so reactive that mm-hmm. we we actually have the person come to us with an issue or a problem and it kind of triggers us. Right. And then, come- then you remember the resources. You're like, oh, I have this for that particular yes. issue. <laughs> and, and then when you're put in a relaxed mode, what do you have? It's like, why am I trying to access that part of my brain? <laughs> There's not a crisis. Yeah, like I'm not in a crisis. Like, you, uh-huh. <laughs> I, no one really, really needs this at this particular moment. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but they do. Um, no, I, I guess my last resource is just be good to yourselves. Um, mm. I find that relaxing activity that you can do that's just special to you. Mm. Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to share with our audience before we close? Um, I look forward to meeting everyone, um, at, at some point, it's a lot of people in the world with a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, and I want to hear a lot of them and, and give, give me the opportunity to learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, th- that would be my closing words. Oh, and to the best of your ability, um, everyone you know, don't just criticize our young people. Um, really invest in trying your best to understand them. Thank you for listening to Real Stories. The resources referenced by today's guest speaker will be included in the episode description. For more information about me, Dr. Megan Corredo, and my work with the story's trauma narrative intervention, please visit my website www.storiesguide.com. Also, feel free to follow my story social media pages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Remember that for every story of trauma and adversity, there's always a story of strength and resilience.